Before we start this episode, I want to take a minute to explain the tone of our show. While discussing the following crimes, we might sound flippant and insensitive. These conversations include teenagers who have a very hard time with sincerity. I am using crime stories as a way to start a dialogue with teens about real social issues and concerns. This will occasionally include words and conversations that might offend listeners. I absolutely apologize for this. Welcome to Because I Said So, True Crime for Beginners. I'm Lee. I'm here with Felicity. Hello. And Austin. Hello. And in our podcast, I tell the kids a true crime story and then we decimate the information for life lessons that we can learn at the end and i should warn you that all of the information um that i tell is from other sources so it's stuff that's commonly out there so you will not find any new investigative reporting in this podcast Uh, my sources for this art this week are wikipedia and then an article in glamour magazine both of which will be linked on our facebook page so today guys We're going to learn the story of the Hart family. I will, I will say before we begin this one, um, we, the three of us have a different sense of what's entertaining than a lot of other people. So lots of people would have listened to our other podcasts and not understand why we can have funny ones and happy ones (laughs) and enjoyable ones while they're listening to them going, God, this all sounds awful. But the reality is you wouldn't, the three of us do think some of these are amusing yeah. and yeah. entertaining. This one I think is interesting and important, but I don't, I'm going to be honest, this is flipping sad. I just think the whole thing is really sad. So I don't think we're going to have a lot of lighthearted chuckles. Okay. Okay. So this is the story of the Hart family. Jennifer and Sarah Hart, they, they were a, a lesbian couple. They met at um, Northern State University. They were both elementary education majors. They both had very, very typical normal childhoods, other than the kind of way it would have been hard to have been gay in like the early, late 1990s, 2000s. Like navigating it then would have been just difficult, especially in the sort of small Midwestern town they grew up in. But other than that, they had very normal families. Met in college. They were both education majors. Sarah focused on special education. Um, eventually, uh, Jennifer did not graduate college. Sarah did. And Why they didn't she graduate? Just because... Just dropped out. It doesn't... It doesn't really matter. Oh. But um, what I mean is it just for whatever reason, a person drops out of college. Nothing traumatic happened. Oh. Though they both said that they felt a lot of discrimination on the campus, which was not really a gay-friendly campus. Yeah. Oh. They were both very different people. For example, um, they both, uh, briefly in college, they both worked at sort of one of those sh- clothing stores in the mall. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture it being like a Forever 21 type place. Well, the, ne- um, the mannequins had nipples on them. Why? Why? Like the women mannequins, you yeah. know, they have breasts. Did you yeah. know that breasts have nipples, Austin? No, but it's a mannequin. You didn't? Okay. Wait, <laughs> breasts. <laughs> you baited me into that one. <laughs> why would you gotta leave that in. That was good. Why would okay. the mannequins, though, have nipples? I, I don't know. Okay. I, I personally don't think that nipples make a shirt. Like if I'm looking at my buy a shirt and I'm staring at the mannequin <laughs> and one mannequin has nipples and one doesn't, I don't see how that would help me determine whether or not to get the shirt. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the women in the store didn't. The women in the st- who worked there did not think it was necessary. So um, while Sarah was sort of lamenting it and it was depressing her, how is she going to handle this nipple situation? Wait, Jennifer went in with a hacksaw and chopped the nipples off every <laughs> single one of the mannequins. So that was just, they had different approaches to stress and different oh, approaches to how yeah. they handled situations they didn't like or agree with. Okay. So 
and that's important to the story? Um, it is, I think. Okay. Yeah. So Jen was a super poster on Facebook. Uh-huh. Oh. Um, she posted every single day. And when you read her posts, I, I, I actually wrote some of them down because it's impossible to describe them. The, you already understand that Facebook or any of social media is absolutely curate, cu- curated by the person who writes it. What like what I mean, mean is so let so they want you to see the good stuff. They uh, want you to see what they want you to see, and if they're putting up bad stuff, they want you to see that too. So what so, to feel bad for them for whatever their motivation is. But yes, anything anybody posts in social media, they're putting it out there because they want people to see it for whatever mm-hmm. the reasons are. And Jen was a super poster, and her posts were like it looks like they were composed by a professional. The pictures were perfectly balanced the color saturation her posts looked like they were written there was nothing really realistic about them mm-hmm. they were beautifully written like a walk in the woods reminiscing about the day we met like this sort of just very <laughs> very perfect sort of lifestyle and she posted every single day every single day nothing ever bad mm-hmm. okay so the, they were a couple they went from man, sort of low-grade job to low-grade job which i find interesting because sarah had a college degree and while she was an education major, she never pursued teaching, and she never tried thought, to. T- wasn't she a special right ed teacher? Yeah. No, she her degree was in special ed, but she never pursued any kind of teaching. Why? Why? I don't know. Oh. I think that's interesting too. Um, when they're in their mid twenties, they decide they're going to adopt a child. So they go through the foster care, the foster care, you yeah. know, um, system. Sorry, and they end up taking in a fifteen-year-old girl. And they tell her, 15's pretty old, too. Oh. Yeah. They tell her that they're going to adopt her. She, Wait, are they married? No, they're not married because they can't legally be married yet. Huh? Well, they're, they're gay, it's, and it's 2006. Oh, it was 2009. What? Then it, wasn't that when the law passed? Is oh, I don't know. Is, is that 2009? Good for you. I thought it was well, I only remember because of the episode of Glee. Wasn't that in 2009? Oh, I don't know. But Felicity and I do tend to base all our history on what was <laughs> happening on Glee at the time. Um... <laughs> Okay, one of you has to Google when was gay marriage legalized. But the thing is, it was legalized in various states before it was legalized federally. So you know what I mean? So Uh in 2006, you may have been able to get married in like Massachusetts, but not have it recognized in Arizona. Oh, okay. And so they lived in, um, they were in Minnesota. Oh, it was 2015. I was going to say, I think what happened. 2009 is when... Ohio on Glee did. That's what I'm, like states did it slowly state by state. And finally, it was a federal law that if you got married in Texas as a gay couple, it had to be recognized in Pennsylvania. That was only six years ago. Right. Exactly. Huh. So that tells you in the in the gay rights movement. This could, says 2000. This says the Supreme ruled that all 50 states. Exactly. Isn't that what it just said? <laughs> yes. Maybe it was. I just wasn't <laughs> So, but I'm saying is that, so that tells you how much in the dark ages it would have been for the gay rights movement in like 2004. I understand Okay. So in 2000, this is about 2006. They decide they want to adopt. They get themselves involved in the foster care system and they get this 15 year old girl. Um, She thought they were kind of, she thought Jen was kind of controlling and Sarah was kind of submissive, but overall she liked them. Mm -hmm. She didn't really have any problems with them. Remember she was 15. And she said she understood that she was only going to be in foster care for three more years. And she appreciated that they were going to adopt her. They gave her makeovers. She wasn't really a baby. She was just more like she appreciated what they were doing for her. They Mm -hmm. were sort of taking her in. They told her they were going to adopt her. And she thought everything was fine. Why did they want to adopt a kid when they only have like a minimum? They both have minimum wage paying jobs. 
I don't know. But I mean, people with minimum wage jobs have babies all the time. But then they like think it like costs a lot. It does cost a lot. But I don't know that everybody who decides to have a baby has thought that part through. But I'm glad you have, Austin. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So they adopt her. One day they take her to her. She has court mandated therapy as part of being a foster kid. And when she gets in. Always? Most until like they're 18. Most of them. Yeah. I mean, most of the kids in the foster care system are dealing with a lot of trauma. Oh. And so generally, if generally, yeah, they all have therapists. Mm. And so um, they're ta- they take her to her courts, her, her therapist. Mm-hmm. She sits down and her therapist says, um, Jen and Sarah have decided they don't want you anymore. You're not going back to their house. That was the last time she ever saw them. Oh, wow. She had no idea. They literally dropped her off. We'll see in a little, you know, she just thought they're picking her up in an hour. Yeah. And that was it. Meanwhile, they'd been telling their friends that they didn't really like her, that she ate from the garbage. And her friend, uh, the, 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 Jen and Sarah had been telling their friends about this 15-year-old that they were fostering, yeah. that they didn't really like her and that she ate from the garbage, which her the friend thought was kind of petty. I mean, almost yeah. like mean girl gossip. And also, just so you guys know, mm-hmm. hoarding food and or eating like what's seen as trash is is a really common thing for kids that have had a lot of trauma in the foster care system. Why? Because if you, well, if you grew up for like, let's say you're in a bad placement that doesn't feed you mm-hmm. when you're in a good placement, you would hoard food for when you needed it. Lots of people who adopt kids from foster care say that one of the issues they have to work out with their new, like adopted child is to like, you don't keep food in your closet. You don't keep food in your drawers because they're hoarding food because they've, they've gone without so the girl eating food from the garbage, she says she actually didn't do that. But let's say she did. Uh-huh. That's a very normal response to a person who's been in foster care. And you would think that any adult who's taking on the adoption of a teenager would know that. Really? We, they think she, the, they, they got rid of her because um, a week after they drop the girl whose name is not given because you know, she was a child at the time, off, they adopt or they take on three, more, three little kids. So I at the same time. Yeah, uh, siblings. Sarah and Jen take Uh on three young kids. Triplets? No, they weren't triplets. It was an eight-year-old boy named Marcus, a four-year-old girl named Hannah, and a two-year-old girl named Abigail. They were about in their mid-twenties at this point. I honestly think they got rid of the fifteen-year-old because they wanted little younger kids. But they didn't just—they had to wait three years. What are you talking about? Well, she would have been eighteen. Yeah. Oh yes, exactly, exactly. So they take in these three kids that are siblings. And they were also African-American. Jen and Sarah are white. This will come into play later. Um, They're African-American. They're full siblings. They would have been kind of hard to place because um, African-American children are overrepresented in the foster care system and underadopted. And also keeping three kids together in a placement is tricky. And so, so up to this point, Jen has always been a super poster. But now she becomes even more an even more super poster. This, This is what she posts about their first night. Abigail urinated everywhere and gashed her chin falling down the stairs. Hannah smeared feces on the wall and gorged herself with food until she needed the Heimlich, resulting in projectile vomiting. Marcus hit his head on a closet wall and in multiple um, roles, multiple voices, Marcus claimed to be possessed by demons. I paraphrase what she wrote. Her actual post was twice as long and much more flowery. But what's interesting is these three kids had come from a pretty decent foster home. Like, yeah, there's. And so even there. So is she making this up or I no one knows. But 
these kids had been in long term. They'd been in a foster home together for four years, mm-hmm. trying to work things out with their mother. And when that didn't work, that's when they were placed in this other foster care, Jen and Sarah's possession, yeah. which was a new type of foster care because that one was meant to like potential adoptions. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have the sort of situation where they'd never been in a house before, where they didn't know not to smear, I mean, things on walls and stuff. Yeah. So there is some question whether or not she was frankly just making it up. And th- But all of her posts ended. Everyone she almost wrote about a lot of them about these kids we're committed to them if not them if not us who what do you mean so she would write these things about these kids she had and how they oh, you want them, s- them to she wanted them for like everyone to like see how great this yes yes she did people I should all get it she would write these posts about oh he she smeared feces on the wall uh-huh. which really anybody that's a huge abnormal thing to do but then she'd end her post with we're committed to the kids if not us who Meaning no one oh, else will love them or take them be- except with, with, us. with their myriad problems without okay. us. Yeah. So less than two years later, they adopt three more African-American oh, children. Wow. So five-year-old Devante, four-year-old Jeremiah, and three-year-old Sierra. Same sort of post about how they're, they wet the bed, they're out of control. But here's the thing. Those three kids had all been living with their aunt most of their life. They had not been in foster care system before. So this is definitely um, some BS. I absolutely have to think. And also, this is where I, it starts to get pretty upsetting. Because their mother, so those the second group of three kids, mm-hmm. Devante, Jeremiah, yeah. and Sierra, their mother was a drug addict. And they all had different fathers. So, but the mother had surrendered them at birth. And they'd been taken care of by the mother's sister from birth. Okay. So that woman had had all five, three of those kids from the day they were born. Why did the aunt want to get rid of them if they're already like eight or what? Well, they're they're three, five, four, and five. Oh, she okay. didn't want to get rid of them. So then who did? I'm going to tell you. One of the conditions of her being their foster mother is they were not allowed to see their mom. Yeah. And she got caught by one of their social workers letting the mom come visit them. Not leaving them with the mom, but letting the mom come, her sister come see the kids while she watched and they pulled the kids from her and put them up for adoption that that foster that aunt fought for two years to try to get them back dang yeah and there's a lot of question about that like the idea frankly being is why well we'll get into let's we'll talk about at the end but those those last three kids had been raised in a good home Mm -hmm. with a single mom yeah but she worked she had a job she wasn't getting you know she wasn't on any sort of aid she fought for two years to get them back. One mistake, you're not supposed to let your sister, their mother, see them, and she did, and they're pulled from her home and put up for adoption. Wow. Wow. She had a lawyer. The aunt had a lawyer from she knew from church who was trying to help her for free. Mm-hmm. He couldn't understand. Like, he goes, we have kids staying with their parents who beat them, and we can't get these three kids back because they weren't supposed to see their mother. Anyway, she fought for custody for two years, loses it. So... This is so our story takes place in three different states. Oh. The first state is Minnesota. That's the state where they have the six kids. Though the second three were adopted from Texas, which is even more interesting. Why would you take the kids from their aunts mm-hmm. in Texas and then ship them to Minnesota to be adopted by complete strangers? Yeah. Okay. Who already have I'll three kids of their own. Racism. But okay, we're gonna get to that. So <laughs> in Minnesota in two thousand and eight, a teacher notices that Hannah has bruises on her arms. The teacher asks... Is Hannah one of the, their kids? Yeah, Hannah's one of the six kids. Okay. The teacher asks Hannah, like, what happened? And they said, my mom, our mom um, whips us with a belt. 
Okay. Yeah, the mom's the teacher who's a, who's a um, mandatory reporter immediately calls a mandatory reporter. Yeah, I'm a mandatory reporter too. That, that means mean? if you suspect abuse, you could get in trouble for not saying anything about it. Uh-huh. So, so the reality is, if a kid's covered in bruises, and I say, you know, had that happen, they go, my mom hits me, I have to call the police, even if I don't believe the kid. Like it's my job. It's oh. it's the law. And so the teacher calls the police. The police question it. They, the moms say that um, she fell down the stairs. So she says she, they don't know why Hannah would make up that story. Um, they talk to her. They they sort of determine, uh, you know, who knows what's really going on. But then the next day they pull the kids out of school. All so six in my of them? All, well, the ones that went to this school, they didn't all go to the same school. Oh, um, they pull the kids out of school, and I don't really understand. Why is that not a red flag? Yeah. Like CPS questions you and then you pull your kids out of school. They told the school that it was a, a requirement of the adoption, that the adoption agency was making them pull them out of school, mm. which again makes no sense and no. is not followed up on. Meanwhile, around this same time, Abigail, another one of the little girls, has um, says she has, quote, owies on her back and her stomach. Yeah. And um, when they ask her about it, she says it was over a penny. She found a penny on the ground. And she, her mom's found the penny mm-hmm. and asked her where it came from. And she said that um, she found it and they didn't believe her. And they thought she stole it from them. So they hit her and they held her underwater. And that's how she got the owies on her back. And while the authorities are talking to her, she also says that they do not give them food. That the kids are not allowed to eat. They were only given like one small meal a day. And the police look into the story and um, while they're investigating, Sarah says yeah I, that's a true story like I, I i snapped and i hit her and i held her under the water oh. so she admits to it okay so she which is interesting because the little girl said it was the other it was jen who did it and jen's like no sarah did it and sarah's like yes i did it hmm. and who are they going to believe they're going to believe the mom who's saying yes it was me yeah so she actually gets um arrested and yeah. she gets charged she gets she pleads guilty she gets one year of community service so was Sarah, the one who, during the whole, like, mannequin situation... She was the crier, not the hacker. Jen was the nipple hacker, and Sarah was the nipple crier. Oh. And that does sort of... You're right. That's a good way to tell them apart, because it's not really... If you're going to think someone's hitting the kids, it's going to be Jen. Mm -hmm. But Sarah says it was her. And um, one day, the school calls, because Hannah's in the nurse's office, crying about how hungry she is. And the mom, Jen, because Jen, at this point, Jen's a stay-at-home mom, and Sarah's working. She manages a re- like a like a clothing store. So the school calls and says Hannah's in the office. She's crying, and Jen goes, "She has food issues. Um, she's just playing the food card. Don't feed her. Just give her some water." Like an eating disorder? Is that what she's trying to she, say? What the the quote was the food card. What? What's a food card? I don't know what a food card, card is, but that's okay. what the mom says. Like, she's just playing the food card. Is it like the... Like crying I think it's to like, get food? I think it's just crying and saying she doesn't get food to get attention. Like... Oh. Like, because I've heard the expression the race card. Like, in a trial, they're playing the race card, meaning they're bringing up race to... So I guess the food card is she's bringing up food to get out of something else, but that doesn't really make much sense. She's like trying to like compare it to like kids saying, oh, my stomach hurts. I can't go to school. Kind of like stay that. Home. And so what happens basically is CPS gets all these stories. The school looks into it. They, they pull the kids out of school and now they're out of school. Meanwhile, in 2009, they go to Connecticut and they get married. They're able to get married in Connecticut. They only take the kids with them because they say that being a les- being lesbians, raising African-American children, they have a very small support system. Like everybody's out to get them. Even though they actually, 
Um, I don't think it was true at all. Like, especially when you look at her Facebook posts, like she'd write these glowing Facebook posts and they'd get like hundreds of responses Whoa. about what s- saviors they were, how, what saints they were. Yeah. You're doing this amazing thing. Um, these pictures were absolutely unbelievable. These perfectly taken pictures of like the sun setting and the six kids in shadow, or she'd be like learning heart style and they'd be sitting by the lake sketching the ducks. I mean, just unbelievable was pictures it sarah or jen that posted it was sarah jen no jen sarah never posted anything jen, jen was the one who posted off and she posted every single day so they also this about this time the family really got into transformational musical festivals transformative musical festivals which were like these giant music festivals of like bands but like new age type music and they would do music and yoga and dance and you'd wear kind of rainbow clothes is this like Coachella? I've, I've never been to Coachella. It's like a big music thing. Well, it's like a it's like a music festival like Coachella. Uh-huh. But I think Coachella has like top notch bands and like merch. Yeah. yeah. At these sort of things, it'd be like local bands that played like new age music about everybody getting together and mm-hmm. being best friends. And I bet you smoke pot there. They do that at Coachella. They do a lot of stuff at Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> and you would do like yoga, but you would bring families. Families would come, and you would mm-hmm. camp there. It was just, it was sort of a, it was a a group and they really got into that. They went to them all the time. In fact, that was one of the reasons they say they couldn't take, send the kids to school. So by this point, Jen's full on homeschooling, but she never, ever enrolled them in anything. So So they said they couldn't go to school because they were going to knock off Coachella. (laughs) (laughs) But they, but the thing I find interesting is, so at my school, because I teach at a private school, if we have a kid withdraw from school, if we don't have a request from another school for their records within like three weeks or four weeks, we're required by law to call the district truant officer and let them, or the office, let them know that these kids are not enrolled in school. What does a truant officer do? They go around and supposedly, I think they're supposed to look into kids who aren't going to school. What they're doing right now with COVID, I have no idea. <laughs> but during normal school, like if you don't go to school in like for two weeks, the truant officer is supposed to come to your house and check up on you and see what's going on yeah. so what's interesting mm. is they pull their kids and this is not like in the 60s this is 2009 they pulled their kids out of school when cps started looking into it and the kids were never enrolled again and nobody ever looked into that so oh. while jen was homeschooling you can't just decide to homeschool you have to sign up so jen says she's homeschooling so she just like states that she doesn't like yeah do yeah she, i'm homeschooling and, and i don't know maybe she was i have no idea but they were never enrolled in any homeschooling program or anything like that and they spent tons of time going to these transformative musical festivals while sarah worked so only sarah one worked, person works yeah only sarah worked where she worked at um a salt a store like a clothing store in the mall she was the manager oh, okay. she made about forty thousand dollars a year oh whoa that's not no that's not a lot well I don't know how a family. I don't know how a family of four people do. People absolutely live on that kind of money. I don't know how a family of four could live on forty five thousand dollars a year. This is a family of eight. This six. is a family of eight. Oh no, they have six kids. Yeah. yeah, I mean, where we live in California, you couldn't you couldn't rent an apartment. You and gotta on pay four- taxes. Or- yeah, and so now, but here's the thing though: they were getting money from texas department of children and youth services because three of the kids were labeled like adhd and stuff Mm -hmm. they were getting money they figured about 50 percent of their yearly income came from stipends because they had special needs kids Mm. who well we'll get to that in a second what (laughs) well because that leads into something else okay so in 2013 they moved from minnesota 
to Oregon. They said on Facebook it's because that's where th- that's like the capital of the transform transformational music festival circuit is. Oh, so they're really really into this. Yeah, like if you know if you want to if you want to get into uh, to like computers, you'd move to Silicon Valley. If you were just all about transformational transformative transformational music, you'd move to Oregon, and that's what mm-hmm. they did. But that actually is not really true. What happened is Minnesota CPS was seriously on them. Like uh-huh. they were being seriously investigated by Minnesota CPS, which is this is where it gets so sad. So they just moved to Oregon, and at which case Minnesota CPS does nothing. Nothing. <laughs> that's it. All over. Now here's the thing. It's not like they could have gotten off the grid at this point because all those kids were getting subsidized money from other states, including the so three were getting money from Texas, three were getting money from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So that means some government agency knew where they were. Yeah. And nobody was following through. So they moved to Oregon. At this point, um, Sarah gets a job at Kohl's. She's a manager at Kohl's, the department store, mm-hmm. which, again, find really interesting for somebody with a college degree. And about 50% oh, yeah, of the- she is the one with a college degree. So why doesn't she get it like a legit job? Well, I think being a manager for Kohl's is a legit job. Oh, you said manager. But, but I mean, working for Kohl's is a legit job. I, I understand, yeah. but like... But a, a higher paid job. Yeah, so, for a I agree. family of eight. I, I I agree. That's what I meant by that. I completely agree. Yes. Why doesn't Jen get a job since all the kids are in school? I thought she was still homeschooling. Oh, you're right. Sorry. She is homeschooling. Good observation, Austin. I screwed that one up. Homeschooling okay. with air quotes. Yes, homeschooling. So um, they do this so that they can, they go to many music festivals. They're very popular on the music f- festival set. And meanwhile, the posts just keep coming. The Facebook posts. Let me see if I wrote one down. So this is the sort of thing she'd put on her feed. She'd have a picture of like Abigail and Sierra covered in mud, like perfectly taken picture mm-hmm. and the quote warrior women. Or then she'd have a post of like Abigail and Devante with chickens on their heads. And she'd say like vegetarian eggs and waffles because what? it's normal for kids to sit around with chickens, live chickens on their heads. Yeah. Um, she'd have this one picture, which is what I'm going to show you of all of the kids painting yeah. And it was titled Young Jackson Pollock or Jackson Pollock. I want you to look at this painting and tell me what you guys notice about this painting. About the this painting? Pic- about this picture that she put on Facebook of her kids painting. The kids are very skinny. They're very, very skinny. They are very, very skinny. Like, you, this is a podcast. So you don't know what any of us look like, but you two are quite scrawny. But no, they are. You, you can, can see, see their ribs. Yeah, you can all, see their ribs. You could rib. see their rib, their collarbones. Um. They're, look at their knees. Their wrists. Their knees and their elbows. We will link this picture on our Facebook page. Um, their their knees, it's like shocking how skinny they are. Yeah. But what's interesting is when you read the posts about the, the that, you know, attached, yeah. no one mentions it. No one mentions the fact that, I mean, they are glaringly skinny, mm-hmm. especially this little one. Look at her. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like a weird page. comment to make on a Facebook page. Like, why your kids look skinny? Like, that's I something disagree. you would bring up in like real life. Like, what's oh, like, okay, what's, I see what you're saying. You're saying like you. That's so weird. Like, let's say you're on Instagram and someone posts pictures. Is this you're, the chicken not, picture like, you're talking about? Yeah. You're not like why? Why do your kids look like this? Huh? What's wrong with them? Huh? You're right. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. But I mean, I guess what I'm also saying is they're skinny, mm-hmm. and then there's that. That is in no way, sh- I mean, I don't know how anybody could not could not see it. So anyway, um, but the comments were, were things like, you guys are perfect. Will you adopt me, please? Live in the dream life. I mean, but those were what those, were what those t- types of posts were supposed to solicit. Those are the comments she was looking for. This perfectly curated, absolute, 
100% childhood on Facebook. But meanwhile, while they've moved to Oregon, they're having people call the Oregon CPS back from Minnesota. People who were whistleblowers. So even though no one official in Minnesota was looking for them, people that knew them that mm-hmm. had some suspicions yeah. were calling Oregon CPS. And one of this is one of their claims. This is in quotes. It says, Jen does this thing for her Facebook page where the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to being lifeless and blank expressions. The kids are trained robots and they are scared to death of Jen. And another po- another and Sarah said this. No, no. Some anonymous source from Minnesota who called the Oregon CPS said this. Oh. And meanwhile, another there were two people from from Minnesota who called Oregon CPS. The other one said the family had major food issues. That the food was monitored within an inch of its life. Each kid was only allowed to have one food item a day. Is that because of money, or is that just because I don't think that's because of money? Control? One no way. food item. So, like, if you ordered a pizza, that was the day's meal. You were allowed one piece of pizza. Mm. And if you didn't, like, if one time someone got caught eating more, mm-hmm. like there, you know, there's six kids. There's eight pieces of pizza. There should be two left, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because what's noticed, Jen and Sarah ate what they wanted. When you mm-hmm. see pictures of them, they don't look like that. They're they're perfectly healthy. Yeah. And so what happened is an extra piece of pizza was eaten. The kids wouldn't turn on each other to say who ate the pizza. Mm-hmm. So all the kids were punished. They were made to put a sleeping mask on and lay face down on an air mattress for five hours as punishment for eating the extra pizza and not saying who would eat it. And like a, they're just forced to sleep? I think at that point you would go to sleep. But yeah, yeah you're supposed to just lay there. That's... Uh, Okay, it could be worse. That's a weird punishment. It's it's all about control, I think. Like I don't, yeah, it's yeah. Anyway, why don't they just like go like go sit in the corner like a normal person? I don't know. Like that seems weird. Just like go lay. I think on only your letting bed. your starving your kid is weird. Okay, yeah, but I think like, the real punishment's the starvation. But I, yeah, yeah. According to people that knew them, the only kid who got real attention, like real healthy attention, was Devonte. And why? I'm going to get to that in a second. And um, according to these people, they were hardest on Hannah and Marcus, and they either completely ignored them and would not let them eat, or they were just horrible. Jen, especially. All of this was Jen. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever said anything about Sarah. Um, Berated them. Now, let me show you another picture. Do you guys remember this picture? You guys might be too young, but I 100% remember this. This is a picture. Do you guys remember the Ferguson riots? Mm. Uh, when Mike, oh yeah, I actually do. I do remember that. That's Devonte Hart. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We're gonna link this picture on our Facebook page too. This was an incredibly famous picture during the Ferguson riots when when um, African American. Well, I don't Michael, remember it, but I, I know it. African American Michael Brown was shot. An unarmed black man was shot by a cop. It started all of these riots, and during the riots, this picture was taken of this little boy crying while a police officer hugs him and this picture went viral he's wearing a shirt that says free hugs and i guess the people that watch it said he's wearing this shirt that says free hugs and the cop walks up to him and starts to cry and i'm so sorry and then they hug and this picture is taken and it's just it was everywhere saturday night live made fun of it like that's how in the mainstream it was Mm -hmm. snl parodied it yeah that is Devonte hart one of their adopted children and that's why they gave gave him food. Well, he was really social and outgoing at the music festivals. Yeah. He was the one who'd put on like the costumes and he would okay. do he, he's there's a really another kind of famous viral video of him if you're into music festivals where he came up he came up on stage and was like singing and dancing with the people. And so um not only that, there's another famous picture of them at a Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders was running for president. Yeah. He had them Wait, stand Wait, which year? I don't know. 
Oh. You were so obsessed with years. I know, but he runs for president like every year. Well, when one the time when it seemed like he might actually do it. Oh, okay. Um, but there's a picture of him when he's giving a speech in Oregon, and what's who's standing behind him? There's no way. Google it. No Jack way. Bird go. Jen and Lisa Hart, Bernie Sanders. He paid money to. No, no, no. Get, they went to one of his rallies, and what do you have? Don't you pay money to get into a rally? No. Oh, it's free. Depends. Most of them are free. Oh. They're to drum up, you know, like enthusiasm. Yeah. So, what is more Bernie Sanders than two lesbian moms and their six African American kids? Wait, they're all there. That's yes. There's the picture. What? Look, Austin. Austin Felicity is currently showing Austin a picture of the family with Bernie Sanders. Oh my God. Because wow. they projected this. Love has no color. Love knows no gender. Perfect family of we're vegetarians and we live off the land and we listen to our music and we love each other. And but what what did they try to gain from this? Because like that's a very famous picture. I didn't know who that was. That's, yeah, like that's Bernie famous Sanders. too. That's Bernie Sanders. I didn't know who that was. What did they try to gain from this? Attention, I think. But they got none. No, no, they did though. How they got tons of attention on our Facebook page and um. Lots of, I think they got a lot of attention. Oh. Maybe not monetary t- attention, but I think they got a lot of attention. And so, yeah, so this very famous picture right here. Okay. So, meanwhile, th- things in the house are nothing like they appear. It is awful in that house. They come, so they come back from a music festival and CPS is there because CPS continually gets comments, calls from mm-hmm. different people to the point where the kids don't even go outside anymore. And CPS wants to interview the kids alone. And uh, Jen says, absolutely not. And CPS says, we just asked you to be polite. We don't actually have to ask you that question. We are interviewing yeah. the kids alone. They said the kids' answers are completely identical. Word for word identical. Really? Yes. And the kids say nothing. Is, no one's ever hurt them before. They don't know why people would make that up. No no mentions of passive use. They all also say, this is exact, we are so grateful for our moms for changing our lives. They all say that. That exact what? sentence. I thought they were going to snitch on them. The kids? No, yeah. kids don't snitch. Rarely, rarely. Kids snitch. Not traumatized kids. Mm. How many? You know how many? That's true. Kids lie for their moms. Why? I don't know why. Haven't you guys heard about the monkey experiment? No. They did this monkey experiment back in the 60s where they took the baby monkeys away from their moms. Okay. And they took, a, they made like a, a tube that has needles in it and they wrapped it with fur. Uh-huh. And they had that tube with the fur feed a baby monkey, like okay. with a bottle. So the baby monkey thought that was its mom. I mean, uh-huh. we're talking tiny baby monkeys. And then all of a sudden, while the baby monkey's hugging the fake mom, they'd eject the needles. So the needles would stab the baby monkey uh-huh. and the baby monkey would run to the other side of the cage. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Then they would time how long that poor baby monkey would crawl back to cuddle with the only mom it's ever known. And the baby monkeys always come back. Mammals really? are hardwired to, to, to stay with their moms. You have, I could tell you guys hundreds of stories of moms who do horrific things to their kids. And when CPS comes and asks them, the kids lie for them. Oh, wow. It's in your DNA. But this, this isn't their real parents. And three of the kids know the real mom. Well, I mean, they knew her. They were, how old were they? Two, three, and five? It was two, it was three, four, and five. Three, four, and five? And this is eight or nine years later? Oh, it is? Yeah. So, I mean, they, and I I think it's encoded into your DNA to love your mom. Adoptive kids love their moms just as much as birth kids do. Yeah. And so I think that's, that. but that's not just this story. That's all stories. Kids lie for their parents. Because I think like all all abuse victims, you think it could get better. 
Like if you just do this right, it'll get better. If we just eat less, it'll get better. You th- abused people think that if they do the thing that's making the person be, do bad things to them, it'll stop. Mm-hmm. And what they don't realize is they're not doing anything. It's never going to stop. Yeah. And so they asked them and they said the kids were very reserved and they showed little emotion. And when the moms talked to the caseworkers, the moms, or I say moms, but it's always Jen. Uh-huh. Sarah just kind of sits there with her mouth shut. Jen says that Abigail was labeled borderline mentally retarded, but they didn't believe that. And that Jeremy believe that the mom said that they said Abigail was labeled borderline mentally retarded, but they didn't believe she was. CPS didn't believe she was. No, no, the moms didn't. The moms oh. were saying when we got her, technically she's retarded, but we don't think that she is. I don't think that's a bad word. I don't think you're supposed to say that word, but that's no. it's a quote. Oh. And then that Jeremiah was globally delayed and had possible autism. But here's the thing. What is globally delayed? I don't know mean? what globally delayed is. I looked it up, but here's the thing. None of these, nowhere on her, Abigail's record was she labeled any kind of um, mental dis- disabled. And and Jeremiah was never diagnosed with autism and had no Globally official diagnosis. Delayed. Huh? Or globally delayed. Globally delayed. What is they, when a child takes longer to reach certain development milestones other children their age but why globally delayed and not just delayed doesn't globally mean imply like they don't have good geography like they're just not sure where paraguay is and stuff like that well the real thing is global development delay okay well none of that was ever diagnosed anywhere and also they said that um the real problem according to jen and sarah is people were intolerant of two lesbians raising six black children oh my that's really what this was about they said now, CPS was suspicious, but they didn't have enough to go on, which I find interesting since you have two different states with two different agencies who have now investigated them. Yeah. So they they continue to lose use the kids as props. Like Jen's taking them to Black Lives Matter protests, getting their pictures taken. There's a lot of questions that this picture that we're looking at of Devante hugging the cop was staged. Another photographer there nearby really? said that he was crying before he even got to the cop. That his mom was pushing him towards the cop, and that's what was making him cry. Oh. And um, it's still an effective picture, though. But anyway. Yeah, it worked pretty good. It did work pretty good. And um, now, meanwhile, Jen says that they're now so famous because of this picture. Yeah. That the kids can't play outside anymore, so she makes them wear head-to-toe Star Wars costumes whenever they go outside (laughs) and play. Which I actually think would draw more attention to you. Yeah. Like full masks and everything. And also, how famous could you possibly be from this picture? Not that like, famous. Not that famous. Yeah, I, I don't understand how you could be that famous. But And so they decide they're going to move. So have you noticed a pattern? Yes. CPS time. investigates. They're misunderstood. They move to another place. And now they move again. They move um, to Washington. Whoa. Wait, didn't they already start in Washington? No, they were in Oregon. They've gone from Minnesota to oh. Oregon to Washington. Washington. Now they're in Washington. Mm-hmm. So three months after they move at 1.30 in the morning, their neighbor has this, here's this frantic banging on her his door uh-huh. so he goes downstairs he opens the door it's hannah her front teeth are missing there's twigs in her hair mm-hmm. she says she jumped out of her window and they have to hide her that the, her mom's whip her with a belt and um please and she just runs runs in the house and runs up the stairs okay now the dad the guy his name is bruce he and his wife live in that house bruce is shocked they didn't know six kids lived next door Oh, because wow. they were never seen. They, never they were went never out outside. The Star Wars costumes? Nope. This that was that was the that old was place. Only in Oregon. Oh. Yeah. So he was shocked. So he says, "Well, he's trying to process like six kids live next door." Um, the little girl runs upstairs. She runs into the room where his wife's asleep, wakes her up, 
Uh-huh. And she's like, you've got to help. This is a quote. you got to help me. Please protect me. Don't make me go back. They're racist and they abuse us. So while he's like his wife who had um, had, what did she have? There was something wrong with her. She had a migraine, so she'd taken a sleeping pill. So uh-huh. she was trying to like process, you know, she's all groggy. She, meanwhile, then flashlights, Bruce is downstairs, like, you know, trying to figure out what to do. He sees flashlights in his yard. He hears people yelling like, Hannah, Hannah. And all of a sudden, the moms and all the other five kids are there. They run into the house. The moms run upstairs. They weren't asked to, they just run right up and start trying to pull the little girl out. Mm-hmm. And the, Dana is groggy, but she's like trying to stop him. Bruce runs yeah. upstairs. It's all just a big mess. Mess. And um, they end up somehow, Jen gets everybody out of their room. Remember, this is someone else's house. Yeah. So she can talk to Hannah alone. And Dana says later on, like, even at the time she recognized that that was a terrible idea. Like, Bruce is on the phone with the police yeah. or trying to call the police. Mm-hmm. But she said, I was really just so groggy. I mean, that I'm, like, trying to process that. And she says, all of a sudden, Sarah, like, hangs the phone up on the police. Like, you know, Bruce is calling the police. She hangs up the phone. And she's like, why don't we wait till they come down? We'll, 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 we'll work all this out. So Bruce and Dana and all the kids and Sarah are downstairs okay. waiting. Then Jen and um, Hannah come downstairs and she, and they say Hannah's staring straight ahead, like straight ahead. And Jen says, you need to tell these people you're sorry. And Hannah says, yes, ma'am. And then Jen says, and you need to explain that you just had a really bad day. And she says, yes, ma'am. And then they all walk out of the house and go home. So we're going to find out what happened later. But from this, obviously, Dana and Bruce should have called the police that second. They didn't? They didn't. Yeah. Even after? Well, the next morning, they said they talked about it. And they decided, that, that, sorry, that night before bed, they talked about it. They were going to call CPS first thing in the morning. Why don't they just call night? I don't know. The CPS of hours? I don't know. Hindsight's, uh, I don't know. I agree. But let's not blame them. Okay. I think things, well, hold on. So before they can call CPS, like she goes, literally, we got up early. We'd looked it up. They opened at eight. We were calling the office at eight. At 6 a.m., the whole family is back at their house. Oh. Jen, Sarah, and all six kids. And they ask, can we talk to you? Yeah, last night was horrible. Because they, we- they know what time CPS opens. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> they, they know. So they go, can we talk to you? And they proceed to explain that the kids were adopted. Obviously, these yeah. two white lesbians did not conceive these six african-american <laughs> yeah. children naturally that they were all drug babies which was not true but dana didn't know that all drug babies she said hannah was 12 and dana was shocked because if she'd had to guess how old hannah was she would have guessed about eight or nine. Oh, so she was so surprised to find out she was 12 was she actually 12 hold on and so then she's gonna um, be like 17 or something and then she said their teeth had been knocked out when she fell on a hardwood floor and that hannah refused to get them replaced and that the kids couldn't go to real school because they were bullied. And then Bruce is like, who bullies them? Mm-hmm. And she goes, duh, they're, you know, six black kids being raised by two lesbians. It's very intolerant that they're bullied by intolerance. Mm-hmm. And that they move there to live off the land. And yeah. so they're all going through all this. And meanwhile, they sort of mentioned that Marcus, the oldest, just turned 19. So, oh. so Bruce looks at him and says, you must be probably getting ready to, you know, leave home then if mm-hmm. you just turn 19. And Jen answered that, well, we certainly hope he's not leaving. No one spoke except for Jen. None of the kids spoke. Sarah didn't speak. So Dana asks, can I speak to Hannah privately? Like, can I go and and, and talk to Hannah Mm -hmm. privately? And Jen says, no, we do everything as a family. And so then she goes, but Hannah wrote you a note. And I actually wrote down what the, I took a picture of the note. 
because I didn't want to write it. Yeah. But let me read it. You have the note? Huh? You have the note? What? No. It's just a picture. that You said you took a picture of the note. Well, yes, I have their note. No, I I saved this picture of their note. And this is what it says. Dear Dana Bruce, I stopped this morning because I feel awful about disturbing your peace and worrying you in the middle of the night. I was very frustrated with my brother and didn't handle things very maturely. And I'm sorry for telling lies to get attention. I'm working on being more honest and finding better ways to communicate my frustrations. I've been sad about two of our cats dying recently. So I was just very sad and frustrated last night. Thank you for being kind, Hannah. No 12-year-old writes like that. That's exactly what Dana said. Dana said that um, she obviously the note was coached. Mm-hmm. and But she said, but all the, the reality is Jen sold their story very well. And Dana goes, what did I know about drug babies and... She said they were all, they had all these disabilities and they were these little kids. They were like eight to nine or 10 years old. Yeah. And she goes, I, she sold it really well. She goes, I was confused. And also, um, after they left, Dana's like, we're still calling CPS. Bruce did not want any conflict with his neighbors. They had just had a bad relationship with the last neighbors over some sort of property line dispute. Yeah. And he was not ready to open up that can again. And I disagree with them. But on the other hand, we've talked about what my fear about not getting along with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like literally the only discovery show I won't watch is Fear, fear Thy, Thy Neighbor because it makes me feel claustrophobic. It would be awful to have neighbors that you were like feuding with. And so he did not want to have another feud. And they decided they would just really keep their eyes open. And mm-hmm. the first time they saw anything, they would call. Meanwhile, she calls her, um, she tells her dad the whole story. Her dad, who's in a nursing home, he's like 80, Dana. Mm-hmm. And her dad's like, oh, hell no. He calls 911. Yeah. He's like, no, you have to call the cops. That's not normal. That's that normal behavior. Mm-hmm. And CPS comes to talk to Dana. They don't talk to Jen or Sarah at this point. They talk to Dana. She tells them the whole story, yeah. including them coming the next day, the drug babies, all of that. And um, she says she never sees the kids outside. Like they had no idea six children live next door. CPS says it's not illegal to keep your kids inside. There won't be any follow-up. So that's but, the end of that. Yeah, but they all, all this stuff about them, like the night. Yeah. Be, well, they're drug babies, quote-unquote. I guess one of the stories, the sad things that comes forward is it was really easy for these two white women to convince all these white social workers that these six black kids must have been drug babies. Nobody looked into it or mm. investigated any. There was never any investigation. What Jen and Sarah said to all of these various CPS agencies became the truth. Oh. And so um, after, the, come to find out, Hannah was actually 16 at the time. So Whoa. good call, Felicity. Yeah. They said she was 12. She looked about 9 or 10, and she was actually 16, which means at 16, she could not have developed breasts. Mm-hmm. Like she was so underfed. So Dana starts kind of full-on stalking this house. Like she's she knows there's... They, she says Bruce did too. We knew that was bad. There was bad stuff happening in that house. Yeah. And so we thought, okay, we're just going to start writing down everything and we're going to have to catch them doing something and we're going to have to call CPS again. We're just going to have to make ourselves as annoying as possible to CPS. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Sarah's at work. Meanwhile, Sarah, the one who works, she's kind of fallen apart at work. She's always been very emotional. Um, she's often been the sort of person who would come home from her room and like go to bed at three, which is a clear sign of depression. Yeah. She tells someone at work, I wish somebody had told me that you don't have to have a big family or I would never have adopted six kids. No one at work knew how she was supporting six kids and another adult. Yeah. Um, Dana's watching the house. 
back to Dana, who's like watching this house, but she can't see anything because they never leave it. When she, when Sarah, I mean, Jen drives them home, she opens up each end of the, the car pulls in. They have a Yukon. Jen okay. opens up each door and that kid gets out and walks single file into the house. They don't all get out at the same time. Jen has to open their door before they can get out of the house. Hmm. So that's... she circles. Yeah. And that's the only time you ever see them. And meanwhile, Jen's playing Oz. Do you know that game, computer game Oz, Broken Kingdom? No. I've heard of it. But... I, I've heard of it too, but I don't really play. But it's one of those games where you kind of join like a patrol so like you're a real person, you have your avatar and you're doing this thing mm-hmm. and you're like in a group of people and you have like a platoon leader type yeah. thing. Well, Jen was actually a leader of a group and the people in her group didn't even know she had kids. Oh. And the, and when this all the whole story came out, they couldn't believe it because she played like 10 to 12 hours a day. So everybody's oh, like, wow. how is she playing 12 hours a day with all these little kids? Because her kids. Just One say- of the guys who was in her platoon said he was playing so much, his wife threatened to leave him. And he goes, and she meant it. Like, she says, I'm not going to be married to somebody who p- comes home from work and plays video games for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so, so they worked out an arrangement that after he helped put the kids to bed, he was allowed to play from nine to 11. Uh-huh. And he said, no matter what time he played, Jen was on. She played hours and hours a day. And he had no idea she had kids. So one day, Bruce is working. The only one who's allowed to ever go outside is Devante. Mm-hmm. He's allowed to do yard work. Does Devante get more food than the other kids? Um, I don't know. He still seems pretty skinny, but you know what? He doesn't seem quite as skinny as the rest of them when you see his pictures. But anyway, um, one day Bruce is out working on his truck and Devante comes over and asks for a bag of tortillas, which Bruce gives to him and doesn't really think anything of it. You know, it's like a neighbor. Can I borrow a couple of eggs? Can I get some sugar? Gives him a the- whole bag of tortillas. Yeah. Well, I don't know that my impression of Bruce is I don't think Bruce wants to be involved. So yeah. if you don't want to be involved in something, it's kind of easy to say. Yeah. Anyway, he goes inside and his wife's like, what you just said. No, I don't think mm-hmm. it's just tortillas, especially since the next day, mm-hmm. Devante shows up again asking for food. And he's looking behind him like, you know, like paranoid and please don't tell my moms, begging them not to tell. He says that he cannot come inside the house, mm-hmm. but they started giving him like protein bars. Yeah. And he was smuggling them home and he's telling them we don't get fed. We're starving. We don't get enough to eat. He asked one day he brings a list. And he asked for peanut butter, fruits, bagels, cured meats, and non-perishables. And can they put them in a box so that his moms can't find them? So Bruce is worried. Is he planning to run away? Because that's not safe either. Like, are are they taking this food because they're going to run away? And Dana's like, no, I think they're taking this food because they're starving. And she's taking notes for CPS. And she's trying to make sure that she has enough um, evidence yeah. To do something to CPS. And meanwhile, Devante's telling them a little things like Sarah used to push back against Jen on some of the, the punishment issues in the food, but she's completely stopped. Oh. That Sarah is, emo- she's gone emotionally. And that um, everything Hannah had told them was true, mm-hmm. that they are beaten, okay. they are starved. And that, but please don't tell and please don't tell CPS. Cause, and this is the part that makes me so sad because they were scared. The kids were scared they get split up. If they got removed from Jen and Sarah's home, which is they absolutely 100% would have been. Yeah. And that was their biggest fear. Like they could handle all of this as long as they were together. That's sad. It's terrible. So finally on March 23rd, after Devante's visited them 10 times and she's uh-huh. documented everything she says, she calls CPS. Yeah. And um, the person at the CPS officer comes out to the house that day, knocks on the door. There's no answer. She knows that they're there. They never leave the house. Yeah. Um, but they don't come out. Meanwhile, Sarah's at work. Sarah gets a call on her phone. Her coworkers say, she's like, you know, oh, 
expletive. And then she... um, Wait, what? I can't say the bad word, but like, oh, beep. Oh. So that's an expletive. Ex... uh, What is it? Is it an expletive? Explicit. Explicit. Yeah. Oh, beep. And she like runs out of work. And so they think what happened is somebody called, like Jan called and said, CPS is here again. Oh, yeah. So Sarah leaves work. Um, Dana's watching the house. She sees them get in the Yukon and they drive away. And she knows they're running, mm-hmm. but she thinks that they're coming back. Meanwhile, that's all on Friday. On Saturday, Sarah texts a coworker at 3 a.m. saying she's not coming back. She, she's too sick. She can't come to work. Yeah. On Sunday, Jen is seen in um, a sur- um, store video buying bananas, carrots, Chef Boyardee raviolis, wheat bread, cereal bars, saltines, and Benadryl. This is in Fort Bragg, California. So they driven from Washington down to California. Mm. That was that was Sunday. On Monday, a tourist reports that there's an overturned Yukon at the bottom of a cliff in the on the shore in Mendocino. And divers go down and look for it and that's the that's them. They drove their car off a cliff. All eight of them? All eight of them. Sarah was in the back seat, Jen was in the passenger seat. Marcus and Abigail are um wait they drove into they drove off a cliff why do you say divers they drove into oh well like not divers um i meant cliff um climbers i don't know okay i'm sorry you're right i meant climbers Uh, but um marcus and abigail and jeremiah are all found a few feet like they were thrown from the car but they're in the shore Mm -hmm. they find a foot a couple of like two weeks later a body washes ashore that's sierra and then they find a foot and they're pretty sure the foot is Hannah's, but they have to track down someone she's biologically related to mm-hmm. to do a DNA test for it. And they've never found Devante's body. So to, to this day, they... to this day. So this is where the story came out. And I actually remember this clear as a bell, this cliff they had from the they knew pretty they knew pretty quickly that this was not an accident. Like the car had a black box kind of thing like they could read in the car's computer that the car stopped at the cliff backed up, paused, and then gunned it as fast as it could towards the edge of the cliff with no um, no braking. Mm-hmm. Wait, who was driving? Jen was driving. Yeah. And they started finding, They started. then they started investigating. They go into the house. They find out that the house is completely, like, sterile. There was no real indication that kids lived there. Remember, they didn't pack up and leave. They all just got in the car and left. Yeah. So there's, like, uh, lots of books. I see there's tons of books everywhere. But there's no games or toys or things anywhere. No pictures, which is mm-hmm. interesting. She's literally taking pictures of these kids every day to put on Facebook. But there's not a single picture in the house. All the frames are empty. They've hung up empty picture frames. Um, huh. The CPS guy said that there's no indication that children lived in that house. The fridge, though, was stocked with lunch meat, fresh beef, hot dogs, chicken, which is just kind of funny because she constantly talked about raising these kids in this vegetarian lifestyle. Meanwhile, she was starving them and she and Sarah were just eating meat all over the place. Um, When it started coming out, a lot of this, a lot of people on Facebook were terribly offended that they were implying that these women weren't good mothers. Really? They were saying that it was racism. Like this idea that these two, maybe homophobic, 
would have been a better term for what they thought it was Mm -hmm. because you have all these people that absolutely thought that they knew them. Like there's this one person, this very famous, like not famous, sorry, none of these people are famous, but someone who played in one of the bands on the folk circuit Mm -hmm. who thought, who considered them a friend. He was posting like, this is a tragedy. The media is making this into something that it's not. This was a horrible accident. I'm close friends with Jen and Sarah. They would never do this. When the police questioned him, like when's the last time you actually spoke to them? He hadn't spoken to them in two years. But because she was such a super poster, he absolutely, like, he couldn't believe it. He said, he was interviewed. He said when he was talking to the cops, he couldn't believe that the last time he actually spoke to them was two years ago. Their posts were so personal and so perfectly written. He said it felt like you talked to them every day. Mm. He goes, if you had asked me when the last time I had a personal conversation with them was, he goes, I would have said maybe three months. He goes, because you felt like you knew what they were doing every single day. Also, by the way, her last post was the day they hit the road. She oh. posted right up to the end. And then the day they left for what their... What was it? I don't know. It was just the usual sort of thing like, raising six kids is so hard to do. Go me. Mm. And so um, one of the big questions became like, what did Sarah know? Was she involved? Was she murdered? Like, did she know Jen was driving off a cliff? Yeah. yeah. And so a few months after this, they announced that they checked Sarah's phone. And Sarah's phone, which showed that it was pinging while it was driving, the other person was driving, was things like... How do you put a kid to sleep with Benadryl? How long can you stand cold water? How high of an impact will kill you? So Sarah was absolutely involved, aware of what was happening. Those two oh, women left that house knowing that and drove to California died. to kill those children and why'd themselves. Why they drove to California to do I that? I don't know. Maybe they were getting up the courage. Maybe they were trying to think of a plan. Maybe they didn't necessarily leave with the plan to do it and the plan occurred to them while they were there. I hope to God that those kids were sleeping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I hope. It was fast. I hope it was fast. The impact would have been fast. It was late at night, and I hope they gave him. But I mean, I've taken Benadryl. It doesn't. It, it's not like. For some people, it is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. All. All we can do is hope that they were. They were sleeping. And but, for how little they eat, anything would. Really you're right. That's yeah. true. That's that's a good point. So there's a lot of reasons that this happens. I think part of it is, um, Sarah needed the fakeness of her fake life sorry jen jen needed the fakeness of her fake life which was coming to a head marcus was 19 they they acted like the kids were eight and nine but they were actually all like 14 15 years old they were getting half their income from money Mm -hmm. that they were getting marcus wasn't going to get anymore and the rest of them were right behind him they were like 19 18 17 16 i think the youngest was 15 yeah like them the money was ending you have these kids that had never been educated who had no life skills who you couldn't really let out of the house because they might start talking. Mm-hmm. So you had this ongoing issue of what to do there. Your life is falling apart. You're going to have these kids taken away from you. Yeah. And then everybody's going to know how fake your stupid fake, fake life is. And I think Jen was a controlling control freak. And I think Sarah was clearly clinically depressed. Yeah. And so, but it took people a long time to, to really acknowledge that this was probably not an accident. Not the cops, but people that knew them. The people that knew them couldn't believe it. And then you have these really interesting takes where people that had been friends with them for years start going back through Facebook posts, and then they start seeing things that they now recognize are just glaringly obvious. How skinny the kids all were. Who sits with chickens on their heads. Like, one picture she did this thing where she said... um, just outdoor painting in the nature with kids and the kid there's these paintings but his wife goes look there's no paint on the brushes like so everything was staged Um. everything was fake so we have and also there's definitely a racist angle at play this idea that these african-american children were better off with any white people 
yeah. than they would have been with their own families, just because maybe their own families didn't have a lot of money. And some of them would have been. I don't know. But those second three certainly wouldn't have been. Yeah. And the fact that it was so... The thing that really gets me is every time you had someone questioning Jen or Sarah about the kids' issues, she always said, well, they're drug babies. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, yeah, drug babies. That's not hard to find out if that's true or not. But that's something that... Abu- and this is one of the... We have two lessons this week. Oh. So one of them is obvious every single thing on social media you should you you should assume it's fake yeah Yeah. everything and in fact the thing i found interesting is those people like jen the super posters tend to have the most screwed up lives because people that are really happy and just living their really happy life post about it they don't have time to post about it because they're living their happy life yeah i don't know how many like couples i know that have these she talked like the wife will talk constantly on facebook about living, going out to dinner with my special man. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she's crying because he calls her bad names. And like real couples and real happy people don't need the affirmation of strangers to know that they're happy. Yeah. And so I think it's all fake. And I'm not talking about inst- So honestly, if you have someone who's like super posting, you should actually probably stay away because it's probably made up. And I don't mean like Instagram influencers. That's different. You should stay away from them, too, because they're annoying. Yeah. But they're being paid. Like, that's their job. Mm-hmm. So, But Jen wasn't making any money. What she was getting was affirmation. You are, you are the best. Mm-hmm. You are a savior. You are saving. You're the white savior saving these little African-American children from their drug baby childhood, even though it was completely made up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing is, and this is, guys already know, we could talk about this in all the shows, is that... Um, Abusers, that's what they do. Abusers manage their public enemies. I'm sorry, their public images. Very well. Very well. That way, when the victim finally says, I've been abused, it's so. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why Austin gives me a hard time when I'm always saying, I believe the victim. But anyway, so yes, our lessons are we should believe people when they tell us that they're being abused. Uh huh. And we should absolutely stay away from people super posters honestly lesson should be let's just stay off social media altogether can we agree to that the two of you let's just make that no nope. uh, uh, <laughs> i don't know but can we agree that we should listen to, read everything with a grain of salt that uh, is probably yeah. not true yeah and can we agree to stay away from instagram influencers sure. because sure, they're yeah. annoying great let's yeah. just let's just do they're that. annoying yeah yeah because they're annoying <laughs> okay Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. My sources were the amazing podcast, Broken Hearts, Wikipedia, and also an, a, a great article in Glamour Magazine that we will link on our Facebook page. We will see you next week with another valuable life lesson from the libraries of true crime. 